Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, and he is so happy to be here with his family. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, yeah, dude? Yeah, yeah. What's up, Denny? Hey, listen, I don't know if you're going to believe me or not, but you know, you've been doing this podcast with me for a while. I- I'd like to think of myself as an honest man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today at the gym, I'm shooting around 22 straight free throws. Wow. So what's that mean? Does that mean ten days? Will, will someone sign me now if I put this on TikTok? That's right. Or something. Forty-one-year-old, six-foot-three stretch forward, ready to dominate the league. That's right. Ten, ten-day Benny. Ten-day Benny. <laughs> G League Benny. Oh man, it. felt good though. Feels nice to get my stroke back. Denny, you can't see me. You got no eyes. Are you sick? I mean, I can see you fine. You obviously didn't see me setting up the Brian Kelly joke and him just appropriating oh, Cajun Louisiana culture. Jeez, that was rough. That was like uh, Kevin Costner, Robin Hood rough. You know, or, it, was uh, like, it was like I've practiced this for half a day and I'm going to throw it out there already, you know, or I, Cold Mountain and uh, uh, Nicole Kidman in, in Cold Mountain. And that's oh, is that a bad one. Yeah, is that yeah, a bad yeah. one? That's a really yeah, bad one. That one. <laughs> oh, man. But what's up, dude? How you been? Yeah, things are great. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. It's been a nice Hanukkah. I think I'm at max Jewishness <laughs> for as much Jewishness as I can take <laughs> on. But it's going good because you know how it works in like a split, you know, like Jew Christian family is like. Yeah, when there's Jew stuff to do, it's all on me. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we got to, yeah, I got to get the presents, get everybody going. But I really love doing it now that the kids are getting older. It's like, it's getting cooler, you know? I knew this. I knew I I had the feeling about that, about raising kids. I'm like, I'm going to enjoy things a lot more when I know they can remember it. Yeah. (laughs) Just have a little more impact, you know? Oh, that's good. That's good. How's your Hanukkah been? Oh, it's been great. I got <laughs> got got people painting right here. I'm 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 living up in the lap of luxury. Let me ask you something. Out of solidarity, did yeah. you throw like a menorah in the window or anything? Or I mean, have you represented Hanukkah at all besides for saying Happy Hanukkah to me on a podcast on like day five? I had I I've had bagels and locks twice. I th- I think that's enough. All right. <laughs> Real quick before we get into this day. Just this is what you're gonna do since you're sick, okay? Yeah. Take a you take a French press, something like that, with a strainer. You put in some chopped lemon. Put in a shit ton of ginger. A little cayenne powder. Mm-hmm. Let that steep for about ten minutes, and suck it down through the night. Then take a thirty-minute steaming hot shower, as hot as you could stand. Suck the air in and out of your mouth. And throat, and you're gonna be on the up and up. This is the Horowitz cure. It's worked for years. Well, you know what else is the hottest thing that you can't stand, or can uh, stand? I think I can stand it. But go on. It's this day music history. Do, 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 do. You know, I'm pretty sure last year at this time, I told the whole story about. Deep Purple randomly being at a Frank Zappa concert in Switzerland and somebody lighting a flare gun and it catching on fire, causing the song Smoke on the Water. It's a great story. If you're a new listener to the tune-up, either 
go back and listen to that one or look it up yourself. It's quite interesting. But I didn't want to double up. So I wanted to do something else. Very important to me. On this day in 1980, Led Zeppelin, you know, my arguably favorite band of all time, made it official that they will not continue after the death of drummer John Bonham. They never fully reform, playing a few shows with Jason Bonham, his son, uh, at one point filling in for his dad. But Led Zeppelin uh, died with the death of their drummer. And I think that is like a pretty large indication of how good John Bonham was and how important he was to that band and that whole style of music and the idea that the band and the fans couldn't even imagine the band going on in a different context. Well, I'm sure some people would have liked it, but you know that they couldn't even imagine it going on in a, a different context is a real tip of the cap to who I deem is maybe the finest rock drummer of all time. Now also double. Did you know, you know, John Bonham, died right around the time I was born. Mm. So, you know, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, you know, maybe there's a little piece of JB in me. Maybe I got a little of that lightning because sometimes when I play Led Zeppelin songs down in the basement and I hear like a funny fill and I play it, I have a chuckle with, with John Bottom. I feel like he's there and we laugh together. So, you know, call me crazy, but but I have a deep intrinsic connection to John Bonham and Led Zeppelin. And, you know, I don't think bands are formed like this anymore, right? Like, you know, when Led Zeppelin was at their peak, you know, they're literally putting out, you know, uh, covers with each member of the album having their own symbol and like this kind of really strong imagery lending it to like these four parts that create a band. And it's just not often the narrative anymore. You know, it's, uh, kind of goes singer down and the, the the band gets lost a little in the shuffle. That's how it goes. So I think it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It might have even been the last band to pull it off like that. I don't know. I may know a, uh, another band that pulled it off or you just gave everybody a, a, a pretty big exclusive there. No, just kidding. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just jokes. It's just jokes. But uh, we're going to get into a lot about band dynamics today. It's almost a band dynamics optimism episode, if you will. Ooh, Who knows? Okay. Who knows? Okay. Um, but Benny, I didn't say optimistic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, for, for me, on this day in 1961, Brian Epstein invited the Beatles into his office, and you wonder why I'm bringing this up, uh, mm. to discuss the possibility of becoming their manager. John Lennon, George Harrison, and Pete Best arrived late at around 4 p.m. Um, they had been drinking at the pub right down the street. Paul McCartney was a no-show. Um, I bring up all of this to say in Get Back... While Epstein may not be in it because he had passed away, he plays a big role. So yeah, on this day in 1961, uh, a, a, a guy who was uh, the father figure for the Beatles gets in the rotation. Very interesting. All right. Ooh, Benny, you know what that music means. What's that? We, we got to keep it a little sexy. But we kind of do our, our own thing here where we bring you the headlines. And nothing in the world of entertainment has been bigger than this Get Back Beatles documentary. I just brought it up as, as a clever way to kind of segue us here. Um, so let's get into it, shall we? It was very clever. 
All right, so the FAA, as as I blow by, just like you blew by my Brian Kelly joke, I, and, 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 and eye for an eye, the Tonica season, right? Um, all right, so the epic three-part series directed by Peter Jackson hit Disney Plus on Thanksgiving, uh, told the stories of the, the making of the Beatles' 1970 album, Let It Be, uh, which they had a working title, Get Back, uh, draws material from the original documentary, uh, captured by Michael Michael Lindsay Hogg in the 1970s. Um, the final cut covers the 21 days in studio with the Beatles uh, as they rehearse for the upcoming album, concert, and film project, and climaxes with the full 42-minute rooftop concert. So, Benny, there's a lot to get, but I just want, uh, before we dive into the minutiae of this, what were your initial takeaways from this doc? I, I mean, I was quite, you know, I think as everyone just initially starting to watch it is a little like it's a little stunning to even uh imagine it's real you know because the footage is so old and so personal you know like and so well recorded that it almost looks staged and it takes like a minute to get used to that you're like wow this is actually real like i'm actually watching the beatles like not only record a song write a song like literally from the ground up from from you know seed inception idea to 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 how they work through it in a room uh was just fascinating and i gotta give off the bat peter jackson credit you know and whoever worked on this film because i think it could have been so easy to take like a narrative approach with it more you know where almost at first i was expecting like a narrator to come on to almost dictate the story and tell me the story and like you know which i think would of course allude to like a little bit of opinion and a little bit of maybe subjectivity so i like the fact that it's presented as if you're just sitting in the room you know like like where one of those hari krishna guys like in the corner <laughs> just like just like watching the performance like that's how it's presented um and i really quite like that and i think it's a very uh also honest and cool way of watching um watching a band work you know even to the point where it gets like grueling and slow and annoying because that's what it is sometimes you know that I'm, I'm fascinated by how how the entire creative process works especially with with these records um for the people that were saying oh seven hours is too long just grow up that, that that just shows that you've never created something in your entire life or edited. Do you realize what, what, what Peter Jackson did here? He took 60 hours of this and made yeah, it into yeah. an entertaining seven hours of content that really tells a complete story That's right. that has That's highs right. and, and lows. And there was a that was there was a scene in there that, that wasn't video. It was audio-based where John and right. Paul are talking about um you know they're trying to get george harrison back in the band and the the crew on this documentary in the 1970s put a microphone hidden when they're having this this conversation yeah. about the the entire process and i just thought that that was gen genius and the fact that we had never heard that before was crazy to me um so yeah just like I know, like the like the people that are hardcore into the Beatles were all about it, it being this long, but it really had to be. Yeah, I mean to tell this story, and like you said, like, you know, if it's too much for you and you can't sit through it, you know, fast forward some parts, <laughs> like you know, get to the end, it's okay. But uh, yeah, it's 
it's it's the same we're going to talk about with like Adele in a little <laughs> bit, you know, like if, uh, you know, an artist or director feels like that's how long it takes to tell the story and you want to watch the story, then then that's the fucking story. Yeah. You know? what, what are you going to do about it? I mean, <laughs> at times I could have used an orc <laughs> or an ant or something, yeah. to, you know, if like. If uh, an elf just, you know, lanced through the room every once in a while firing an arrow, I might not have fallen asleep a couple of times. I'm not going to say I did it, you know. But that's, you know, that's what whenever something has been arduous, like, like, you you know, we bring up Springsteen a lot. If they ever had this version of, of that band putting together Born to Run, it would be like like the same thing because, you know, oh, s- yeah. sometimes things that are, are, are classics and great take a long time to put together and it is a massive sludge. Oh, my God. If people had to watch things like that is when they would really lose their minds because, you know, when you're talking about a, a record like going into the studio to record Born to Run, like those songs were done. Yeah. You know, it was all about getting the perfect versions of those songs. So that's when you're about to watch like, Am I seriously watching like take 27 of this uh, second measure of bass on this song? Because that's what the real studio is like, you know, like there are times you look at your watch and you go, yeah, that's hour three of listening to nothing but isolated bass guitar over the same verse, you know, or the same chorus. It's it's that's that's what the process is actually like. You know, and and it could only be a, a documentary about the Beatles that kind of would give us that kind of insight because nobody else would like sit through if it was like your like average right, band right. like like nobody else would like yeah. sit through that. But it had you... to be unearthed footage of <laughs> right. like the biggest band in rock history right. for people to even bother. Yeah, it's true. So so there's so much to get in into here. Um, you know, I, I brought up Epstein before. Um, and, and he's brought up in part two of this documentary um, when they're sitting around trying to get get George back. Um, and I just had kind of a, a, a interesting reaction to this. Now, when they filmed this, uh, McCartney's 28. I believe Lennon, right? He, he was a, a few years younger, four That's years, I believe, 24. Now, these guys have had 10 years of experience in the music business handling things which way and that. The fact that for the like the end of the Beatles run, they kind of couldn't get it together was super interesting to me, considering they were these smart guys that had this acumen of like all the different sorts of evolving mediums. Well, I mean, I think what you brought up is a fascinating part of it that I may actually be able to give insight to. Mm. So, you know, when I imagine the beat, like they started, they they were kids. Yeah. You know, very talented kids, mm-hmm. like. You know, um, but there was a whole level of that industry on the management side of their band that they it's not a a knock to them. They did not have to pay attention to it. They had a whole nother side of their thing that was uh, an operation of their machine that was blind to them. And I think it was often like that in those days, you know, especially for young kids, like you're at the mercy of these companies, these labels, these big shots, they make the rules, they have the money. There's like three people who can get you heard and you got to like kiss the ring. It was like a totally different scenario. And they had someone to kind of, you know, that they really trusted, who was almost like this other leg of the band who advised on 
everything from you know presentation to aesthetic to music like all these things very trusted and was there through the entire thing so to say uh you know at the peak of their success to lose that person is is a a massive loss especially when you didn't want to lose that like yeah. it's not like they fired their manager it was like just this piece of their operation a very large piece of their operation fell and now all of a sudden i think that's where i was maybe most fascinated with this documentary is now watching or biopic whatever it's called <laughs> is uh is 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 watching that dynamic be filled by Paul McCartney. You know what I mean? He was obviously the one like, you know, very early in the movie, they show Paul is the one having these discussions with these other people from the labels and stuff about, Oh, where are we going to set up? Where's the studio? Where are we doing this? Like it's, it's obvious he has become the new conduit. I don't know if he was like declared into that role by the other guys. If he was, just that person who naturally filled the vacuum or not that, you know, that's an interesting part to me too, but like it or not, if you don't have that piece that they lost, like somebody in the band has to operate like that. And so often the person who has to operate in that role in the band, people start to resent for, for a variety of reasons. But let me be the first to tell you that like, if you have fucking four George Harrisons, that shit's not going anywhere, <laughs> you know? And, and that's part of the dynamic that people like, I've been seeing kind of this like overarching, like, Oh, George, George is great. Listen, I love George. <laughs> okay. But as someone who's been like the shitty dude on the other side of this business, and I've had to from time to time, like someone like me resents George every once in a while. It's not easy to sit there and make like these beautiful things that he makes, but not everyone just gets to sit there lurched over their guitar, focusing on nothing but the creative process. Like not everyone gets to do that. And some other people have to deal with the other side of it. And to me in the documentary, it looked like John was kind of on his own path at this point and maybe a little checked out about that side of the business and, you know, Ringo was just Ringoing. George was, you know, the the real, like, you know, let me bring in Hari Krishnas and focus on the <laughs> overall, like, thing. And then there was just Paul. It was like, I felt like he, he was kind of stuck, you know, in like this weird situation. And I actually, I felt bad for him. Did you feel that at all? See, so I saw someone that was extremely type A doing type A things here amongst a, a group of other people that were, uh, you know, I also got the sense that John Lennon was extremely type A, but had resigned himself to whatever the right. current situation was. Yes. And yes. I, I don't know how much someone like Yoko Ono played in that situation, um, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But the thing about George Harrison here, right, which, you know, I felt bad for him, as as did most people in this situation because he wasn't being listened to. But, you know, when you've had 10 years of adulation that, uh, that Lennon and McCartney had, right, of, like, all of these great songs and, like, you two are, like, the guy, and, and you have that, like, like third guy who's 
I'm not going to say, like, he's equally as talented at, at, at what he does. He just doesn't do as many things as the other mm. two. It gets to be a, a interesting situation where this guy is like, this is not my vibe anymore. And you know what? Like, I can't, like, creatively, the people that I do stuff with at, at 16 are, like, not what I'm doing with people yeah. now. And there's the right. growth in those 12 years that it's like, it's like, you know, it's it's kind of a tough bridge to cross. Yeah, that's where I wonder. It's like, was that time, you know, if, if was that the time that the Beatles needed to take a break? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like those really self-aware bands who were just like, oh, my God, we've been at it too hard, too long. Our manager died. You're listening. You know, you're hanging out over here with the Hare Krishnas. I'm, you know, having bourbon with the suits. And John's over here with, with Yoko doing his thing. And, like, we're all separate now like we all started in this you know we're all together we we're all in our little suits and we were young and we did it all together and now things are separate it was almost like watching the the musical manifestation of like the sociology break apart yeah. you know yeah yeah no it was it was crazy now the interesting thing where i kind of thought that both paul and john maybe di disrespected uh uh george harrison a little bit was when when uh you know george harrison leaves the band and he's like see you around the clubs or and even before then they're talking about bringing eric clapton in and so it's like i don't know if if, if that was a case of thinking he's replaceable or if they were just like you know what he does more of a sound that we want for this record so i saw that floating around that people were like oh the disrespect wanting to bring in eric clapton but i'm also like if you're doing if one guy wants to have a certain sound, that's fine. But if if two people that are the overarching vision for the project want to have a different sound, that should be acceptable and not perceived as a breakup. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, this is where we got to wonder. I mean, like, even though we're getting such a close look into this, like, you know, like maybe there were so many other things in play at that point right. that we don't even see, you know, like didn't, didn't people like sleep with each other's wives and stuff when they were hanging out with the Maharishi and like, just imagine like, it's not like, like we're talking about, you know, I think we got to think of like the Beatles 10 years that we're talking about in yeah. like cat years or dog <laughs> years. You know what I mean? This isn't like a normal decade where people were like clocking in the work and shit like every day. <laughs> this was like 10 years of the one of the greatest bands in rock and roll history at their absolute peak, you know, going around the world with absolute, you know, adulation no one's ever seen before. Like, what is that doing to the people? What is that doing to their relationships? Like, you know, there's a whole nother element to this that, that, that we can never see. And that's that's where, you know, even as we're talking about it now, it really does feel like we were watching, like I said, like the musical manifestation of like an internal struggle with the band, which probably happens really often. We just happen to be witness to it this time. Yeah, the part that I want to get to is the Yoko Ono part, but but before we do that, musically, have you ever, you know, when you've been jamming, putting together songs, seen a song come together like we kind of saw Get Back come together like that? 
Like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. That that part was so cool, you know, because it's like, you know, because that was one that they like had this idea and they couldn't like get it in the right place, and then you know, Paul comes in with that really like, you know, up 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 guitar stroke part mm-hmm. that like, oh okay, now it's catching something, <laughs> and now it started to feel right, and everyone could kind of take on to it, and like, yeah, I have seen that happen, and that's like one of the most beautiful things in music not only music like in life like for me it's one of those weird uh lightning strike type situations that you could never in a million years control the variables for and you just have to be like super stoked when it happens and when it does happen it feels really fucking good it does it's extremely satisfying oh man i bet i can i I can't imagine listen we've had some good podcasts but i've never felt like it's like altering my perception of who i am (laughs) religiously i mean you're on you're on the horn with me you know like an hour or two a week i figured You'd be you know, a little. Oh, I wish this podcast was transcendental and like all that <laughs> stuff. Maybe, maybe, maybe we've got to bring out some mak- makarishis. Maybe it's these painters. Yet. Maybe these painters. Listen, Denny, we're only on year two of our decade. You know <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Whenever the Beatlemania kicks in, I, uh... that's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. So I did want to get to the Yoko Ono part of this, and this is kind of a interesting part where from the jump in this thing she is in the rotation she is sitting amongst the jam session yeah literally in the inner circle and i was just like i mean it seems like it worked for them because uh, i i don't know if she was writing the lyrics down because they didn't in that case that would make sense but in, in this documentary it just kind of seems like her and john are like super close and like there's a super like codependency thing ha- happening there um and i just wanted to get your sense of that well that i actually you know when i was watching it with my wife at first and you know she was naturally as a lot of people were like taken aback by what you were seeing which it was strange you know what i mean like to see okay here's the beatles here's a couple people working around the room here's a random Hari krishna in the corner i know i keep bringing that up (laughs) But it's so strange. It's, it's just so like, <laughs> I can't think of anything but the first scene of Airplane. And just, I don't know. It just cracks me up. Um, but, you know, but it's off-putting, right? Like, just to even see it. But, you know, my wife is bringing it up. And I'm like, you got to, like, the one thing you got to think about here is, like, like, this was sort of the John and Yoko thing. It wasn't like uh, they were just like, oh, this is my, like, girl and I love her. You know, it was it was different than that. Those two were on like, they were trying to achieve like different types of spiritual planes. You know what I mean? They were on another fucking trip. And I really think that they saw their journey as, as congruous, you know, that they were doing everything in lockstep and that's how their journey was going at that point. And, you know, and then I told that to my wife and she went and watched like a John and Yoko documentary and, realize what a talented artist she was which she was and is you know and like um how much she inspired john and you know and the the nature of their relationship so i think it's easy to be kind of uh i don't know harsh about that um because it is so unorthodox 
But there's a part of me that really does like find some beauty in it too. Um, especially if the band was okay with it, that makes it even more beautiful. Cause then it's like, these people are on this, this journey that like, you know, fuck, like maybe some of us would like to go on, but we're not on a high enough spiritual or financial plane to, to, to go that way. And they were trying to do it. And it was, I don't know, maybe it was more beautiful than creepy. I hope. I'm not going to front, right? There were like a multiple times during that first part that I I yelled at the TV like I'm watching the Bucks. <laughs> Why the fuck is she there? Like, I, like, I'm not even kidding. I'm not joking. I would love to be as mature about it as you just oh were. But I was like, you are, I don't know if you're messing these guys up, but it, it kind of felt like it because the next day, Paul shows up with Linda Eastman, and by the end of it, her kid's there. I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, well, okay, but all, all right. In a, and then in just like the outside of it the just spiritual evolved, yeah. realm. I mean, they did talk about that at the beginning, remember? Yeah. They said that, you know, we're going to be performing this live, so the idea that this is kind of like an open session was encouraged, you know? So, so that was part of it. I'm not going to say I want, like, everybody running around when I write songs. It's not going to go well for me. That's a fact. <laughs> Somebody like if I had to if I had to wrestle my son in the middle of, you know, coming up with a great part, like it's, you know, it might, it might fuck me up a little. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, but everyone's got their own creative process and that's right. And, and, that's and right. hey, it worked. We got let it be out of it, right? So Yeah, if- yeah, but to wrap it up though, yeah. I mean, I think I think the whole thing is cool, man. And I do think like, uh, you know, our kind of quick take culture of what we're in right now, where everybody has to get an opinion about it, like super fast. Like, I don't know, just take a step back and like realize how special the thing we got to see is. It's really unique and really fucking cool. Like Mm. how often does, you know, something from the generation before social media the generation before cameras all over your face that someone took audio and video like that good of one of these magical groups of people in their natural element i mean it's like it was really awesome and you know if you don't like the way it was put together it's fine but i thought it was super special and cool in your mind uh was the history of the beatles breakup rewritten with this thing because i kind of think that it was in a major way for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it's at least a thousand percent more nuanced now, you know? Yeah. It, it, that's, that's a fact. Adele has persuaded Spotify to do the big thing. They're, they're doing the big thing. Adele has persuaded Spotify to take the shuffle button off all album pages so that tracks can play in the artist's own order. Uh, the singer tweeted, We don't create albums with so much care. And thought into our track list for no reason. Our art tells a story, and our story should be listened to as we intended. Thank you, Spotify, for listening. Now, Benny, we've gone back and forth with Spotify, if you will. I don't know if we've gone back and forth. I just kind of dramatize the whole thing. But this seems like a massive step uh, for Spotify, even though you know they didn't have to pony up. They did make a concession to an artist. So, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, I. It's it's a pretty simple one to me is where like, you know, there's maybe like six artists who could have made this request, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where I don't I don't give Spotify any credit. 
you know, because the other, you know, 1,999,870 artists who thinks this sucks and, you know, like ask for it to change, like, now we you know, shuffle is the best dynamic to for the algorithm and fuck you, you know, which is that's that's my Spotify impression. <laughs> I don't know, it's a fucking algorithm. I don't know, fuck you, Roman Royal. Uh, don't, don't care about anything. Uh, walk on the backs of the bruised. <laughs> um, like, so I don't like. So I'm not impressed with Spotify. I'm impressed with Adele in this instance. I know we took her to task a couple weeks ago about her clogging up vinyl plants all over but like this is one of those things i wish fucking big artists like stepped up and swung their metaphorical dicks every once in a while for things that actually help smaller artists and this is one of those things and i'm glad she did it i have nothing bad to say about it i think uh it's a positive move i think you know i listen to her in interviews and like i like adele yeah i get like i always get a good vibe from her she seems like she's still relatively in touch with like what her situation is. I Mm -hmm. think she's one of those very rich, successful people who knows they're really rich and successful. Right. And, and, you know, knows it's unique and doesn't take it for granted. And maybe every once in a while just does something cool. And this was a cool one. I thought it was a boss move. Oh, boss. Pimp. (laughs) You know, it was like, it's like, I liked it. She has a history of, of doing this because she, she was also a big backer of, uh, you know, getting the legislation in California regarding the paparazzi. Um, right. She was also big into that. I mean, listen, I'm not saying putting us like taking off the skip button is the same as that. But now that Adele has a little bit of leverage here and that she has all of this, will she fight for the artist's? that are not making the money through Spotify that she should. I'm sure that her streaming and, and all that stuff, stuff. I'm sure those checks come in and she's happy. But now let's fight for the person that, you know, was her 12 to 15 years ago. I mean, that's what sucks, though, is like, at this point, we've talked about this. It would have to be more than Adele because yeah. it's like it's like too big to fail. You know, this was like a concession that Spotify is willing to make because like they kind of don't give a shit. It's really not a huge skin off their nose problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if Adele was like, I'm taking my music off Spotify until you raise rates or something. I don't know. They might say, fuck you, Adele, until like six other big artists did the same thing. Like, because they're more powerful than she is at this point, you know? Yeah. And the other problem, and, and we've talked about this a bunch in the past, is how all of like the major labels own a small piece of Spotify, so exactly. it would be against going against their own interests. So, but for for what this is to stay in the moment, to stay present, this is really cool. I love to hear an, an album as the artist intended it, top to bottom. As I, <laughs> even though I'm the classic party shuffle asshole like like myself (laughs) i'm sure you can take these songs and put them on the playlist for the party like easy on me at at a party come on come on i literally used to fast forward the first like 90 seconds of explosions in the sky songs (laughs) like can i get a little closer to the drum part so (laughs) i'm not that cool oh (laughs) 
All right. Well, moving on to someone who's been or something that's been pretty cool for about 15 seasons now with the debut of its 15th season. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It just became the longest running live action sitcom in U.S. television history. The show snags first place after being tied with ABC's The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, both of which had went 14 seasons. First off, have you ever heard of The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet before I just said it? I have not. And it went I, for 14 seasons on ABC. That would never what year? happen. What year is we talking? Oh, man. All right. It's the birth of well, television kind well, of Well, you answer how cool is this and what do you make of this. I will look that up for you. Wait. I have it right here before okay. you go. All right. Ran from 52 to 66. Oh, that doesn't even count. They oh, put... it was the Nelsons, like Ricky Nelson. Oh, okay. Yeah, like that crew. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Oh, yeah. So this was a big thing. It's not like Days of Our Lives running for 75 years. But yeah, it was a little more of like, yeah, it was all American nuclear family with Ozzy and Harriet Nelson gotcha. as the parents. Yeah. And okay. Ricky Nelson was actually one of the kids. Now I kind of, now I'm curious. Yeah. Um, but I, I love always sunny. I've yeah. been a big fan for a long time and it's like, which it's actually surprised me because I'm not really into like shock humor, or like offensive humor, you know, like it doesn't always do it for me. And like, even sometimes with Danny DeVito, who I love <laughs> so much, you like make like a Jew thing or something and always sunny. And I have like a minor cringe and I'm always waiting for them to like, I always thought they were going to go a step too far and lose me and they never did. And that's one thing I always love about always sunny. It's just this like, like, like this consistently awful group of people, right? Like <laughs> the worst humans there are, but they're generally mostly just awful to like each other. And when they get like challenged by the world, they're kind of like so weak and small, <laughs> they can't even handle it, yeah. you know? And like, so there is this weird like vulnerability to these characters where like they're being like the biggest dicks on earth. But at some point in every episode, you realize, oh, 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 they're like the biggest fucking losers on earth. And that's why they're like this. This isn't coming from bravado. It's because they're dumb and mean, you know? <laughs> like, so I love that show. And I think it's had some like dips in quality where, of course, after 15 seasons, you can't expect to just like maintain as you go and they've had some some times when i thought it wasn't so good but then i think it got good again and uh i don't know i still love watching it so i'm a big fan and and a lot of credit to them especially with the way this show got developed right because yeah. this was really you know rob mckellany's like his baby and you know like they came up with this and it was like a big coup to get danny devito and you know um so it's sort of like a punk rock story made good, yeah. as well, which I also appreciate, you know? I mean, Danny DeVito does not miss here, you know? And oh, and we're going to love on him because, you know, he's Jersey's own and, and stuff like that. Even his his production company was was Jersey Films, which right, uh, that yeah. just shows you how much he loves it. No, but the interesting thing about this, I feel like they hit the zeitgeist down the middle for both the left and the right in a mm. way because if you agree with some of the behavior and the the jokes, you could think the show is one thing. When really, when you're paying attention, it's saying the the, the other thing. So 
I Good think point. that it's a brilliant thing down, the, uh, especially you know if you look at the last 15 years in this country, and what everyone you know the pendulum that uh, the the cultural temperature is over that time. It's the perfect show where everybody feels like they're being heard. That's true. That's a really good point. I didn't think about Always Sunny as like a, a universal kind of <laughs> statement, but I, in a way, in like, yeah, it is. It, uh, yeah, maybe it represents the crummiest side in all of us. <laughs> and then the other cool thing about this like show. The reverse Ted Lasso. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> is how the cast has gone on to do other shows and they've taken what they've learned from going and, and doing those other projects and brought it back to always sunny to make it better. And maybe while some of those dips happened were when they were away and then they came back and I guess it kind of put a bow on this subject. How long do you think that this could go? Because once you made 15 seasons, it's like this just becomes the Simpsons, right? Yeah. I mean like, but in a way, like I think the Simpsons, is a good example because the way they set up the show, right. With the bar and like the way they have it, it, I mean, there's nothing that's timing out. Yeah. You know, unless like someone dies or like, you know, like they're allowed to age in the yeah. show. They're not playing like some period piece. They're actually getting older. They all still work at the bar. Like there's no actual narrative reason why it needs to stop. Yeah. So People are still interested and they're still interested. Yeah, why Why not? It could keep going for a while. I love that. Have it become like our generation's SNL. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right, Benny. We're going to slow it down a little bit now, just like the, the MLB owners did. We're going to make uh. it sexy for you. We're going to keep sports talk sexy as I throw these numbers right in your face. Denny, Denny, <laughs> these, these aren't the kind of locks... <laughs> that I find sexy, okay? You love picking them. You love doing all the things. But anyway, for the first time since the 1994-1995 season, Major League Baseball is out of work. Major League work stoppage. The collective bargaining agreement between the MLB Players Association expired at midnight, late night call on Wednesday, and the former voted to start the lockout. Yeah. Now... There's Great. a whole bunch of ways I could go in and explain it, but Benny, straight up, keep this sexy for the people. You know, you've been giving me some weird cues to keep sexy recently. <laughs> no, like, I like, bring the negative, like, you keep it sexy. <laughs> like labor stoppages. All right, so let me try to find this. Here's the sexy rub to this, and it's the only one I can find because the actual thing itself is childish and strange watching a bunch of multimillionaires just just go at each other like this. I don't like it. And it's leaving the same taste in my mouth that it left in the 90s. I lived through the first one. But the silver lining to the first one was the steroid era. <laughs> you know, what we got out of the last lockout was Sosa and Maguire and then eventually Big Head Bonds. And, like, you know, I'm sorry – your marginal baseball fan in the summer of 98 was glued to every Cubs and every Cardinals game watching Maguire and Sosa try to break the record. Like it was a big fucking deal and it was so much fun to watch. Honestly, we all knew they were doing steroids too. No one cared. 
No one cared. It was obvious. Like Mark McGuire doesn't get, you know, acne, you know, at the 36 Barry Bonds, you know, went up a hat size. You know, these things were so obvious. We didn't care. It was sexy and fun. The long ball is sexy. So if there's two things I hope for in this particular lockout, it's a, we don't have any, any, any missed games, which is looking like we're going to miss some games. Yeah. And What's the second thing I want out of it? Sexy, sexy, big muscles and juiced balls coming out of it at the end. I want beach balls getting hit out of these stadiums by the end. Maybe they'll finally be open to my uh, my uh, roaming plate defender idea that I've been pitching for a long time. Third base goalie, you know? That's sexy. Something? That's Something? sexy. You're pretty Whoa, sexy. You want to know what else is sexy? guys not having to stay in the minor leagues for too long and that's exactly what these big time clubs have tried to do they've tried to keep their hot prospects they've tried to keep them low they tried to they've tried to keep their hot prospects a side piece for far too long rather than (laughs) letting them step out into the show and uh spread their wings and fly so that's a big reason they want um the players want to guys to be able to rise to the big leagues get their money and then uh, the whole other thing is free agency uh, because of of the other thing that's kept some guys in bad contracts longer, bad relationships, or trying to get out of that bad romance. And, you know, that's that's leading us to the, the, the problem of guys in the middle of their career uh, having already kind of diminished their value, not being able to go to where they uh, were for the amount that they should be. You know, I got to say, though, I know that it was like, the effort of the major league baseball teams to sign a bunch of like insanely lucrative contracts, like the day before they lock out to be like, Hey, look, there's a lot of money kicking around. We're paying people. It kind of worked on me. I gotta be honest. Like when I'm reading articles, like, Oh, the Texas Rangers rebuilt their infield for $600 million. And Kevin Gaussman is getting $110 million. And these, you know, marginally good players are getting like filthy rich. You know, uh, part of the system is working, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, you know, but the, certainly the money is there. Let's just say yeah. that. And then you got teams tanking, underperforming, trying to do better. I mean, I mean what are there? Three, there's three major league baseball teams that have an annual payroll less than Max Scherzer's salary. Mm. You know, like, like I believe it's the Pirates, the Orioles, and maybe the Royals. I forget the third team. But, I mean, like, you know, this is, this is like awful inequity in the league. And, you know, the idea that, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates are supposed to compete right now at, $38 million payroll and Max Scherzer is getting 43 from one team. It's, it's silly, you know, it's so something's obviously got to give. They're trying to keep some cheddar in their pocket so that they can spend it on a future fling. Listen, you know, I love cheddar. <laughs> I think More we, cheese. I, I don't really like money. <laughs> I, I think we kept uh, a work stoppage about as sexy as possible. So let's move <laughs> yeah, on to something that's fun. actually appealing it's to so the fun. eye. Let's move on to the NBA for a little bit. Now nah, that's the sexy game. Ooh, and the sexiest game there is. And we've got four contenders all up in your face, looking for that Larry Ob, yeah. Benny, 
the Nets, the Bucks, the Warriors, and the Suns all looking for that prize. Anybody else I left out in the cold on this whole winner's night? No, I mean, I think in the last week or two, I'm really seeing a, a separation here between, you know, what, what I imagine to be the best teams in the league. Again, you know, it's it's an obvious thing we have to talk about. This, this comes down to health, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I put the Miami Heat in this category at the beginning of the year. And, you know, quickly you see some of their older players, you know, Jimmy Butler's already missing games. Bam Adebayo's out for a while. And you're like, eh, maybe they're not as good, you know. And out there in the West, you know, the Jazz are, you know, right there in the tail of the Suns and Warriors. But we're in that classic, you know, until people see the Jazz, like, rip through the playoffs a little bit. It's just not going to be real. And we're not going to believe it. They could be number one all year and no one's going to believe it. Lakers obviously have their struggles. You know, maybe the Sixers could put it together. But, you know, the only other team you can start talking about in this top conversation in the East is Chicago. But that's such a young group. You know, I'm not willing to make that declaration after 23 games. So I think with, with what Milwaukee showed, you know, ripping off, eight straight there with, um, you know, once Giannis Middleton and holiday got back in the fold, that is the NBA champion team. They're, they're the cream of the crop. Uh, you're watching the nets who have been missing pieces all year long, you know, Harden playing himself into shape admittedly, you know, all these things. And they're number one in the East, even with all these, you know, things out. And then, uh, I don't even think we have to talk much about the Suns. They just won 18 <laughs> yeah. games in fucking row. They're an absolute machine. The Warriors are back, and they're expecting, uh, you know, the supplements to come in the <laughs> in the name of Clay Thompson and you know Wiseman, whatever he's going to be. So I think that's the storyline this week is we're really seeing a separation between these top two teams, and uh, I would you know and then I would love for these playoffs to unfold for that to be the Eastern and Western conference championships. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about the warriors is really coming into fruition here. Marcus Thompson of the athletic had the great piece about clay, about how after the uh, recent trailblazers game, clay just sat on the bench after everybody had had cleared out fans were, it, it was almost like in, in the movie, a uh, miracle when like, you know, they like lose the game and everyone's start trying to head out and like he has them run on the lines and like the fans come back to their seats. Clay was just sitting there looking at the court, ready to get back Uh, from what all indication he's progressing well, and we'll be back by the Christmas. So then that becomes a monster all unto itself right there. But man, you can't deny what the Suns are right now. I mean, well, that's where, you know, like, I don't want to, you know, Based on analytics, like if you took the records away, right? Yeah. The Warriors would seem to be the most dominating team in the league, right? Because yeah. they're uh, the second highest scoring offense behind Charlotte, believe it or not. And then, you know, literally the league's best defense. Yeah. So, like, you know, that's like a combination of things. Like, that's just like an analytics boner where you're like, <laughs> oh, a team is doing that is just not really going to lose, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, it's hard to see right now. I mean, they are they are an absolute juggernaut, but I am dying <laughs> to see like a Suns Warriors series. Like how how much fun, you know? 
I hope that that we get it because the past few years when we've had you know two teams in the same conference, they met in like the semifinals, and that's not fun. I don't want to see like 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 a banged up Denver team make it to the conference finals, right? Because you know the the NBA had those two, or like the seating worked out so that those two meet in the semifinals. No Rockets dubs again. We don't need that. That kind of thing. No, no. <laughs> and I'd like to, you know, people aren't mentioning it, but. I haven't heard too many people mention it. Yeah. But it's got to be official now. The East is better. Yeah. And, you know, it was a long, long time that this was not the case. I mean, I can say with pretty great certainty that the Western Conference has been the dominant conference for, what, 10, 15 years, like at least. And, uh, you know, the idea that you're looking at the bottom of the West and, you know, coming into the play-in game are these like banged up Denver and Portland teams, Minnesota, Sacramento, you know, that's, that's who's kind of vying for the play-in right now. And then out in the East, you got this good Toronto team, Philly, the Knicks, the Hornets, the Celtics, the Hawks, like Cleveland. Now, you know, this upstart Cleveland team who, you know, I just heard has had the, the toughest record in the league or the toughest schedule in the league so far. So, you know, if you waited them, they'd be a couple more wins over and, I think the East is is clearly the the deeper, at least, conference at this point, you know? Benny always keeps it sexy, and that's why I love this segment, especially talking about Cleveland and all of that stuff. <laughs> Cleveland um, always keeps it sexy. Oh, man. every time. Uh, any Boogie Cousins thoughts that you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? Listen, all right. You know <laughs> I was upset about this signing. I haven't been the biggest Boogie believer over the years for a number of reasons. He looked good in his first 15 minutes as a buck, but I'm telling you, this thing's going to implode, okay? This is boogie time. He's going to do something weird. He's going to piss off an Antetokounmpo, something. He's going to get hurt. You're going to get a few good games at a boogie, and something weird is going to happen. Just mark my words. Hey, but if, if that something weird happens before January 7th and he gets waived, it's free yeah. cash. It's free take the cash. chance. Yeah. You take the chance. My boy Brooks getting back surgery. I don't know. Where's Robin at? DC, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. He's in, Orla- no Orlando. he's in Orlando. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if, yeah. he, don't know if he's hurt or just not getting minutes. I'm not oh, sure. man. He's, he's too busy. Maybe, maybe Joakim Noah is still out there on the block. <laughs> Robin's too busy trying to uh, learn how to use Genie Plus at Disney World. That's what he's doing with all that cash. Um, I love the Lopez's. Protect the Lopez's at all costs. I love that. But yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Bucks, Nets, top of the East. You know, you add a piece like Boogie to try to get that depth that you're going to need for the playoffs and hope that by March or, or April you can try to mold this team into what it will be for the playoffs. But listen, like you have Drew, Giannis, but you like you... When that matches up, and especially if you're trying to win a championship, you need those ancillary pieces to, to try to oh, put it for together. Sure. So. For sure. Grayson Allen's not going to cut it. Breaking news, Denny. Yeah. Portland Trailblazers fire GM, president of basketball operations, Neil Olshea. I'm surprised it took this long. Yeah. He's been in mm-hmm. hot water with all of uh, the yeah. improprieties. Up to something. Up to something, this one. All right, so, he's done. He's done. That's how they wanted to keep Damian Lillard. Listen, guys who run uh, basketball teams, you know, don't be uh, pieces of shit. And, and you know, um, this isn't Mad Men anymore, you know? It's the days of the internet. 
can't get away with it. Stop trying, you creeps. Damn creeps. Ugh. Perfect segue to set up your own segue to tell everybody to love one another. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us at the tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, you can fo- subscribe on YouTube. All the good stuff there. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one. Number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody love people who deserve love. <laughs> oh, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> the show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune Up. <laughs>